0: Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine & Chisme podcast, a podcast created to share the stories of everyday people doing remarkable things in communities of color, all while sipping on a glass of wine. In this episode, I got the chance to speak with Delia Hassel, a Tejana from Dallas who owns a consulting business that deals with governmental affairs and education. She's the creator of the University of Texas at Arlington and Dallas Area Rapid Transit Transportation Leadership Academy. Delia was named a 2018 Minority Business Leader Honoree by the Dallas Business Journal and after 10 years of serving as the Chairwoman of the Board for Texas Cannes Academies, was honored with an Employee Scholarship Fund being named after her. Delia also served the City of Dallas as an elected official to the Dallas City Council representing District 1, but due to gerrymandering and redrawn districts, lost her reelection bid after four years serving her community. She has seen a lot of change in Dallas, and I can't wait to share her story. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the mix. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese Med podcast. I'm very, very excited today because I'm doing my first remote podcast, (laughs) Uh, and I'm doing it with somebody who I have actually looked up to from afar while I lived in Dallas, and her name is Dedia Hasso. She has a very... Um, extensive record within public service in philanthropy and a lot of things. And she's actually just launched a new program that we'll get into. But before we get into that, before we get into the cheese, may you guys know we have to get into the wine. So because we're remote, both Delia and I are drinking probably a little bit different wine. So today I am drinking an Estancia Vineyards Pinot Noir 2017. Ooh, what Very do you have nice. going on over there that you
1: got? <laughs> okay, we have a winery, actually, um, in, da- in near Dallas. It's up closer to Oklahoma. It's called Lost Oak Winery. My husband and I have been there before, and it's about, it's like, like close to Oklahoma, so it's at least three hours away. And this one is called Di- the Diamond Double Red, and it's Ooh. from, a, like I said, the winery here in in, uh, near Dallas, it's
0: very good. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we always got to start by taking there a drink of our go. wine.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And I love Pinot Noirs, and I ha- and I have had Estancia before, so this is really good. I think I got this one. I am somebody who it doesn't matter what the price point is if I like it, I like it. Right. So I got this one from Trader Joe's. I think for like nine ninety
1: nine. <gasps> oh, I'm gonna look for it.
0: Yeah, Definitely. Trader Joe's yeah. has really good prices on wine. <laughs>
1: well, I know, I know. They, they, they're very good.
0: So, Delia, let's dive I'm, right into it. I'm like... <laughs> you are a major presence in Dallas. Um, it's you're somebody that I became very aware of um early in my time in Dallas, and we kind of passed a couple now, of passings here and there with a lot we were discussing previously we have a lot of mutual people you are but you are i was a transplant from california and i moved back to california but you are a like through and through not just yep Tex, like the but like a dallas you are through and through a dallas woman correct yep born and
1: raised right here and so I'm a
0: girl. <laughs> <laughs> so having family that goes back, not only like within Texas and being a me- Mexican-American woman, right. um, a Tejano woman, how do, has that like affected your worldview? Or how do you think your worldview has kind of come to be being somebody who's like has family generations back going to Dallas, raised in Dallas, all of these different things within Dallas?
1: I think it's affected me in a positive way. Because some of the same people that grew up with my parents and um, and their parents are people that I'm still connected with. So that part of it is real positive. I mean, I can you know the people that I went to, um, especially college because there are only there were only a handful of us at SMU who were McDonald's, and all of us were from Dallas. And, you know, I graduated uh, from SMU in the, uh, before the 80s. No, I graduated from college in 76. And I am still connected to those people.
0: Oh, wow. Um,
1: There were three, there were approximately about eight of us that were from Dallas, were Hispanics, and did stuff together on campus. And then there were three uh, Hispanics in the law school who also were Dallas sites. and so we kind of did stuff together, all 12 of us. There were probably a dozen of us, So, and fun, oddly enough, none of us ended up hooking up, so, <laughs> so it was really almost like a, you know, a sink or swim thing, you know, it's like here, we're, we're all here, let's help each other out, and we weren't really thinking about the hookup thing. So, uh, but I still am friends with those three law students and all the the 12 of us that were, you know, Mexicanos there at SMU, um, two of the three law students die- have died. Oh, wow. not that wild? And it only leaves one of them. He must really be dead man walking. But um, oh, <laughs> but I know it's like, how do you, how do you see two of your colleagues, you know, pastor. but anyway, um, that none of us ro- were romantically involved, you know, with each other. We just all supported each other because we all were going through the same thing where it was a, and I did a video for SMU also on what my experience were as a Mexicana. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was honest, it's, there's, there's, there's no support at all for Hispanic students back in those days, right. now, a little bit more now. But it's still a private, mostly white
0: college. So being so, uh, so that there was so there was only a few of you. I mean, total twelve of you in that in yes, going at SMU. How was that? How was I mean? I wasn't. I didn't obviously live in Dallas back then, or well, I was born yeah. in seventy seven. To be honest, but like, how was that transition of? demographics how has that been how have you seen that within dallas since you since growing up i grew up in oak cliff when there were five hispanic families in oak cliff
1: everybody else was white so i've seen it change not that i was there the whole time cuz i was away at school i lived on campus at the college that smu and then um, i moved away and came back so i didn't really see actually see the transition when i came back i saw that you know there was white flight, and that the people who were buying up the properties were Hispanic because they were probably cheap enough where you could afford it. Right, um, we were already there um, because we moved in when oh gosh, in the 60s to Oak Cliff, and none of my family lives in Oak Cliff anymore except me. Um, and you know, so I didn't really eyeball see it, but I saw the changes after I got back, and especially when I got married. I didn't get married till I was around thirty, and at the time, my soon-to-be husband was going to be a lawyer. Well, had finished law school. And he said, "Well, you know, all my clients are in Oak Cliff, and I have the Mexicanos. You know, they need legal help and blah blah. blah. So here I am back in. The- <laughs> so we've been here thirty years in Oak Cliff in this house. Wow!
0: Oh, and in the same house. The same wow." House. So growing up, what because you weren't the only, because you you weren't, your parents didn't have to come across the border. Obviously, there's different things. What was your parents' emphasis for you growing up? Did they emphasize education? What was their dream for you growing up? You know, it's really weird.
1: I'm the only one of four girls that went to college. Um, But my dad told us, each one, when we graduated from high school, that we could do whatever we wanted to do. And that he would help us, you know, with the next step. My older sister picked beauty school. So he paid for her beauty school. And we weren't rich. You know, my father was a welder. And then uh, I'm next to my older sister. I was the one that picked college because, you know, I went to Skyline. And at that time, everybody, all my friends were going to college. So, hell, I didn't even know what it meant. But I just... I just said, I want to go to college. And then the sister after me went straight to work with for the IRS so she didn't go to college. and the sister after her uh, again didn't go to college and was an administrative assistant for you know for it. So um, the reason like I said, the reason I picked college was because all the friends I had were going to college. And I would have gone to Stephen F. Austin, but the Hispanic Outreach Coordinator at SMU came to my mother and dad's house, came to our house, and said, she really doesn't need to go there. She needs to go to SMU. Apparently, you know, I had good scores. So he said, with these scores, you know, she really needs to go to a better college. And so my dad was like, oh, wow, you came all the way over here to tell me that. (laughs) he's like, okay, she can go to SMU. And that's how it happened. I mean, it's just very, you know, things in your life happen that you don't know why, you know, you think think you're taking this path and you end up going this way.
0: No kidding.
1: Yeah. And so, um, and it was the best thing for me, you know, Uh, the guy said, you know, go ahead and apply for all the grants and, and, um, scholarships that you can so that she can live on campus because it's better because from Oak Cliff to SMU is a good long way. And so that's what we did, you know, and and I ended up getting a a couple of scholarships and a couple of grants, but I still had student loans. So that, you know, like I said, it was up to, he left it up to us to decide how we wanted to continue.
0: That's real. That's really awesome because I feel like sometimes, you're you're almost living your parents' dreams. So the fact that they let you kind of dream however you wanted to dream, I think that's that's so that, awesome.
1: I think that's why I wish he would have made my other sisters go to college, you know, because I tell you the sister after me, she would have been a great lawyer. She worked for the IRS and uh she was in management and stuff, but she didn't never got her degree. And my other sister, I think, would have had a better life if she'd have gone to college. But you never know. You know, you just don't know.
0: Did you so know that- when you were when you were going to SMU? Did you have any idea what you wanted to do? Like, were you yeah. like, I'm going to be a lawyer? I'm going to save the world? I'm going to like?
1: <laughs> I had no idea. I ended up with a degree in journalism, uh, and only because I had written an article about women's rights or something. And, um, I ended up in the journalism school and that little article came out in the first women's magazine, or maybe one of the first, I don't think it was the first, but, um, and that's how I ended up in journalism. I just wrote down some stuff that, you know, I guess I was feeling, I don't know. I don't know that how journalists really do it. I found out later that's how they do it, but, um, but I think again, it's, you know, life just pulls you in a way that you don't know that it's pulling you that way. And that's why I ended up in journalism. So So, I have a degree in journalism from SMU. (laughs) (laughs) Never used it
0: once. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess I could – that can kind of be debated in some form or fashion, right? Well, because true, journalism's true. right; they have journalists right. They have to do research, after yeah. and those are a lot of things that you ended up doing when you get got into politics. But how Absolutely. how did that shift happen? So you gr- you graduated from journalism school, then you end up going to law school. Like, how no, did- no, no,
1: we didn't go to law. school. Oh, I you didn't,
0: go didn't go. do law school. No, no,
1: no, I didn't even touch it. I knew <laughs> some lawyers. I knew some guys in law school. That's as close as I got. <laughs> and dated a guy who went to law school but um now after college I worked in retail I was I was hired as a buyer's assistant because I had a degree from SMU not they didn't care what it was in it was just a degree Mm -hmm. and so I went right into administration in retail and I worked my way up. I went, I kept, became a buyer. I bought ladies, um, swimsuits and coats. And from there, then uh, the, your next step at that time was to be a assistant store manager and a store manager. So that's what I did. I, um, I followed all, that all the way through and it was a store called Joske's, and I think it turned into Dillard's. Uh, and that's what it is right now. But, um, and then from retail, what did I do? I left retail, and that's when I started my uh, career with um, uh, training. I went right from retail into training, and then I worked for Zales in the training department. Uh, Nations Bank, which is Bank America now, in the training department and Blockbuster.
0: <laughs> now, for those who are young, know, Blockbuster know, used to be where you go know, to get it. the videos.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I was in the training part, And when you're in training, you can train anything as long as someone gives you the book. Right. <laughs> you know? like, okay, the next thing we'll do is.
0: Turn the page. So, oh, yes, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> that's
1: what we're going to do. So that kind of gave me the public speaking uh, confidence. Because i I don't think I was confident in public speaking before that, but you know so many years in the training field you have to you've got to speak before you know right. many different groups and so then, after let's see well,
0: let I me ask you a quick late. question then yeah being like you graduated in seventy six and then you started working and you start how was it being being a mexican American woman at that time going into the professional world?
1: Awful, awful. We we have not even made a we've made a little dent, but I wouldn't say we've made a giant dent. I mean, there are more Hispanic female professionals today there were in my time when I was growing up, but when I was going through my, you know, stepping stones, there was not one. And if there was one, she was afraid you'd be taking her job. You know, it was that kind of, of atmosphere, you know, where What's the, she said, if you put a bunch of Mexican crabs in a bucket, none of them will ever get out because the other one pulls the other one down. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I think it was that kind of thing all the way, all the way going through every step of my career. There was never... Now, you know, now we've got the groups, we've got Hispanic Women's Network, we've got H100, we've got, I just made a list for a friend of mine um, of all the Hispanic organizations uh, because they're recruiting Hispanics. Imagine that. And so, you know, there's more now, but I still think there isn't enough of a dent. they tr- People have tried, I think, you know, um, com- big companies have made a kind of like a, Afterthought of hiring Hispanics,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think it's because um, they satisfy the diversity issue with hiring blacks, and oh yeah, let's hire one or two Hispanics.
0: Yeah, and it's so sad, like that- across the board, right? Because there's so I know so many, regardless of ethnicity, I know so many that have done so much and are so qualified, yet sometimes it's the name that people get scared of. So that's, did you have anybody that mentored you that you could reach out to? I mean, you just had to kind of.
1: You know, when when it changed for me, it was, um, what was it? I guess it was around 88. I had just met my husband and we got married like three months after we met. But anyway, (laughs) but he was in that group with Domingo Albert Garcia, Steve Salazar, Juan Mm -hmm. Hassel, and oddly enough, what's his name? Uh, Gutierrez and Alonso.
0: So, if people aren't aware, uh, these are a lot of prominent prominent people in the Dallas area. Now
1: they are, but back then, yes, I know
0: them as prominent people in Dallas because they they
1: are. But back then, they were going through the same thing, you know, that Dallas is right. Uh, and, you know, granted, that was, what, 20 years ago at least. And um, so things changed for me when I, when we would all get together, you know, and there was all of us. We couldn't just go to the movies, just two couples. It was like, I'll stick to But we had some great talks in terms of what it should be. And and that was the year, I think, that the guys went and turned Cockrell Hill from all white to Hispanic, because most of the residents were Hispanic, but all the elected officials were white. And that's still happening in Texas. You know, the residents are white, but the elected officials, I mean, the residents are Hispanic, but the elected officials are white. So anyway, they came and they they saw that, and they saw that, you know, they could easily walk every house in Cockrell Hill and met, that was Hispanic, Hispanic lived there, and asked them to go vote and because a hispanic was going to a hispanic house they're more likely to go vote because you're asking them to go vote and you look like them okay and that's that's a real key statement right there because mm-hmm. it makes a big difference in everything we do and that's what we try to tell the whites and the blacks you got to have someone who's hispanic you know to ask people to go vote or to do the census they're not going to do it if you're if you don't look like them yeah so anyway they um they canvassed the whole city of Copper Hill Canal. It's only like two miles wide. <laughs> so they won. They put all the Hispanics in office. And so ever since then, then they they worked on the city council for Dallas. Then they worked on the state reps for Texas. Then they worked on, you know, commissioner's court. So little by little, they've at least made, made the imprint. And when all the guys got elected, you know, my husband got elected to Justice of the Peace 25 years ago. Domingo was elected to state rep. Um, I don't know what Roberto was in. Steve Salazar got elected eventually to council. So when the guys had their own thing going, they're like, okay, ladies, it's your turn. You know, come on, women. So. The first one was Elba. She ran for city council. She won and she served for eight years. And those eight years, she appointed me to the Dallas Parks and Recreation Board. So I served for eight years there. And that was my biggest lesson, um, my biggest teaching moment, because I could see how city hall runs and I could see who did the work and who didn't, who would be honest with you and who wouldn't. And so when it was time for her to, when her terms limit was up when her term was up she said okay get ready you're next
0: (laughs) and that's that's how you got truly involved in politics
1: yeah and it was really the like i said it was you know being part of the conversation with what should be happening with our area because there were at that time then we were we were more hispanics and whites but we were being represented by whites and so that's that's when it changed for me. I tell you, it was it was really, you know, getting to know the Mingo Nelba and, and you know, and and really being part of it with Juan and and then they knew they started uh, being friends with the the Southern Dallas representatives, John Wiley, you know, all those guys. And so there was sort of a coalition there, and that's you know. That, that was my entry, and so it wasn't so foreign to me to run or to be asked to run because I've already, I have already had already been in the uh, position of park board for eight years, and so I knew, you know, pretty much the ways of City Hall and how, how it runs and stuff, so it wasn't so difficult.
0: So what would it you is say hard. when you were in there, when you got voted in, and you're representing... Mm-hmm. The area that you grew up in, you're representing people who are looking up to you and counting on you. What what would you say your biggest obstacle was while you you were in city council? And what were the things that you're most proud of that you could say, like, I'm so proud that I was part of that?
1: I think the hardest thing after I got voted in was um, trying to please everyone. Because you, when you're a city council, you want when you're representing a district, you want everyone to be, not to be happy, but you want to be able to solve their problems. And that's what, you know, I, I realized later on in life is that I'm a problem solver. I'm a connector. You know, I would say, well, call this department or call that department and then call me back. Let me know what they said. You know, but at least I could tell them how to get a problem solved. And to me, that was the, the best thing. Okay. The, um, the hardest thing was, you know, not being able to address all the problems because once you get in there, it's not so much a district thing. It's like, and I was just back in city hall this week. It's like a bigger thing. I mean, we were voting on contracts worth millions and millions of dollars that didn't just affect your district. It affected the whole city, you know, and how now, You know, if I was the only no vote, it wouldn't matter because there's 13 of us, there's 14 of us. So, you know, you really had to count to eight to get something passed, because that's the majority. And if you didn't have your eight votes, forget it.
0: Right.
1: So, um, unfortunately, even though it was a good project or whatever, if eight people didn't know that you supported it or that you wanted it to go through, it wouldn't happen.
0: What would you say? Is there anything that you regret while you were in City Council? Like, if are you is there anything that you would have wished you would have done differently, or you could have changed when you look at back at your time in City Council? You know, I think,
1: yeah, I tried to do too much, and I see, I see what the City Council people do now, and it's really not even close to what you know. I came on board and I, I established the um, Dallas Animal Services Task Force. Where, because someone came to me from my district and said, this is what's happening. You know, you've got to do something about it. It's happening in your district. So I established a task force for the Dallas Animal Services.
0: Um,
1: the other one was um, gays and lesbians. At that time, there wasn't even a committee to to address the issues that they have in, the, in our city. So I started that task force. Um, and then the graffiti task force. So I started that one, and I think, like I said, I think it was too much. If I had just said, you know, I'm going to concentrate on graffiti, you know, that would have been a whole lot
0: easier. Right. So you were there and for eight years, years, right? Three. Huh? You were there for total. How long were you there total? Eight years, or less than four years? Four and what, years. And then, at that point. Were you, because I try not to know too much because I want to ask genuine questions (laughs) again. I want to ask genuine questions because I want to be able to have a true conversation instead of something very staged. At that point, after the four years, did you decide to get out or were you voted out?
1: Oh, no, I was voted out. I mean, my opponent won. He's a white guy from Kessler Park, which is all white, mostly all white. But I had a big constituency. I probably would have one, if I had run last year, but I have no interest in politics anymore.
0: So let's now life after politics. Well, Uh, there's
1: life after politics. (laughs) Yeah. No, you know, I, I
0: didn't, I came in 30%. He got 60 and, you know, I was done.
1: Um, My health suffered. Um, It took me about a year to get back healthy, very, very thin. And then just kind of, Eased into all the other things I'm doing. <laughs> so that's it's been a blessing. I can't say anything else but that it was a blessing that that I didn't win.
0: So tell me now, now that you've been after like once you got out of politics, where where did your mindset go after you were done? Like you're like, okay, now this chapter has closed. Right. Where at this point, where was your mindset in regards to what your next step was gonna be? I
1: really did I had no plans whatsoever, thank God my husband you know has had a steady job <laughs> for twenty five years. He's been a judge for twenty five years, so you know I really didn't have a plan, and I think that's I think that was part of my blessing. I said you know i just I said, God, you know whatever you want me to do, just stare me there and um I'd say for the last two. Oh, So I left in 13, I didn't do anything in 14, and half of 15, then someone came up to me and said, you know a lot of people, and you know, we need to get some some stuff done, can can we hire you as a contractor to do some things, and so that was the middle of 15, and I didn't sign a contract, my first contract as a consultant, until 2016. So I've been doing it now three years.
0: And how has that how has that been with doing consulting?
1: I tell you, it is the best job in America. You just you set your own schedule. You don't have to go to work every day, get up <laughs> and you stay in an office for eight hours. I couldn't do that again if I had to. I think I would just let go of everything because um once you're once you're in a different routine. It's hard to go back to the same routine to, right. to that routine, and I know what that is. You know, I know what it is to get up and go to work every day. But as a consultant, I think you have the ability to set your own schedule, and you know your limits. So you say, you know, you're you say, well, this is this is what my contract says, and this is all I can do because right. that's what's in your contract. So it's very different, and I, you know, those. I mean, people got very wealthy doing that. <laughs> I can say why.
0: So you've led several philanthrop you know, philanthropic efforts. Before we get to like the main like this most recent thing, what things have have you been able to lend your expertise to, whether it's within the community, within the, you know, Dallas Hispanic and Latino community or outside of that that you've been really integral in trying to help put money behind it, raise money behind it, those types of things since you have gotten out of um, politics.
1: Yeah. I think one of the big things is in different organizations, we take uh, these different surveys where you discover what your strengths are. And I I want you to take one of those tests to see what your strengths are. (laughs) But one of my strengths is a connector, being a connector. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I know a lot of people from when I was in politics and just, you know, knowing, being in Dallas forever. Um, my biggest strength has been to help people connect with those people they need to connect with. And that's what one of my that's what my biggest strength is, is is really connecting people to to get to a place where they want to be, uh, to raise money, to you know, to give them a bigger, uh, sense of where they could be, not, not just in a little box, but to grow bigger.
0: Right. Well, obviously having the connections that you do, it must be, it's probably very satisfying because you've been able to meet so many different people from so many different walks of life and so many different things to be able to say, you know what? And I bet, and I'm, I'm, I might be putting words in your mouth, so tell me if I am. But I would imagine you probably look at somebody and without them asking, you're like, you know what? I bet you this person needs to meet this person. I bet you're already doing that in your head. Exactly, I am. <laughs> it's just one of the
1: things that you know are, is in my personality traits, and I realized that after I took a couple of those tests. I'm like, oh, that's what I like to do. I like to connect people. So you know, it, it happens to to work. Um, not only in professional, but your personal life, too.
0: Well, now, I mean, the most recent thing I know has been this kind of partnership between the University of Texas Texas at Arlington and DART, which is Dallas Area Rapid Transit. I actually used to work at DART. Yeah, I worked at DART for about three years um, in the marketing department. So they, and the city of Dallas, Department of Aviation, right? So to create this opportunity for um, students at UTA to be included in a year-long transportation leadership academy. So that's a—I know that's a mouthful. But can you tell me what your involvement with that has been and what the purpose of that program is? Because it—I mean, I did have to go and read about it because obviously that's recent. I haven't been at Dart for two people know about it. Now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess through
1: the people I knew and and met uh, only, well, in politics, we were out on a social event, and someone came up to me and said, well, I think we went through that. Someone came and said, you know a lot of people. Anyway, um, I I knew Gary Thomas, the president of DART, very well um, beforehand, or he knew of me because I was on city council and he was at DART. Anyway, I was telling him about the academy that, Jorge Baldor had put together. Were you here in Dallas? Yeah, okay. you were. Oh, Leadership sure. development.
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. LGD, right?
1: And, yes. Well, the first year they were to, he put the group together, you know, and they went over to Mexico and met with Vicente Fox and all this stuff um, to get them ready to run for politics. And that was the whole, um, the whole idea for that academy. And so out of the first 12 that were in that academy, four of them were elected to public office. And so I was telling Gary this, and he was just like, oh, my gosh. He goes, that's great. He goes, I'd kind of like to do that. And I said, you mean like an academy, like a leadership academy? <laughs> he goes, yeah, for transportation. So I said, okay. And that was all the direction I got.
0: Wow. Okay, so a- tell me how, like. Well what so
1: happened did is I think I didn't I didn't want to do high school because they wouldn't be job ready at when they graduated. We want them to go to college, obviously, and we couldn't hire them. Well a company wouldn't hire them. So um I thought about college graduates or college seniors. And so I quickly called Michelle Bobadilla over at UTA and I said, Michelle, I just got out of a meeting with Gary. Thomas, president of DART, and he wants to start this program for college seniors. So she made sure we met with the president, with three of the deans, with uh, the president's assistant or chief of staff. Anyway, we um, went back and forth on how this program would be um, administered. And I just, one day I just figured, well, there's 13 vice presidents each of them can do a different presentation every Saturday because the kids have to go to college during the week, right? Mm-hmm. So the academy was Saturdays only, and with a different VP for 13 weeks because there's 13 VPs. Right. So that's how it. That's how we did it. And
0: I worked with Nevin and Robbie over in marketing. <laughs> okay. And you know what? I was not there the
1: day Nevin came down. But anyway, so I still haven't met Nevin, but I've been doing this for four years. Um, so, anyway, so we put all this together and then um, I guess we started in February going back and forth and meeting and, you know, hashing everything out. And we signed an interlocal agreement with DART and UTA in August of that year. I think it was 17, now yeah, 2017. It took us almost the whole year, but we were just in time to get the kids on board in September when they went back to school. So, the whole idea is that we take college seniors and we get them job ready for when they graduate. So they don't graduate thinking the corporate world is this la la land, you know, it's hard work and you need to know this and this and this. And so by the time they finish our Academy in 13 weeks, they, um, they at least know how things work because they've talked to a different vice president every week and, and they'll never get that. I mean, what high, what college student gets to do that?
0: Yeah, talk
1: to a vice president in a corporation every week. So anyway, um, we did the first one in seventeen eighteen, and um, graduated five students. I think out of those five, I had three Hispanics. Yes, <laughs> uh, Michelle made sure.
0: No, Michelle had- is a. If, and now, if, let me just kind of say prefaces to the audience: if you plan on going to school in Texas, or you have kids who are going to school and they want to go to school. And uh, University of Texas at Arlington, we have a mutual friend, Michelle Bobadilla, who is one of the most, I can honestly say one of the most amazing people I have ever met in my entire life. She is somebody who will bend over backwards to make sure that kids have an opportunity to go to college and every university needs a Michelle to make sure if that's what the path somebody wants to take to go to university every university needs to have a Michelle Bobadilla to make sure that that happens well
1: and let me say that that's what happened to me uh, and the the my outreach coordinator was uh, last name was Gonzalez he was with the Gonzalez funeral home here in Dallas, but he took some time off to be a outreach coordinator, and he he's the reason I went to SMU I love and
0: hearing
1: so that. So she's, you know, she's done doing what other people have done. Yeah, you know, and and we'll, you know, we haven't been out there. You know, uh,
0: I'm sure time. all outreach coordinators are as passionate as yeah. Michelle. And I just is, happen to know Michelle. So
1: universities <laughs> have to make sure that there's an outreach coordinator at every university because they're the ones that make things happen. And I knew she was there. So uh, that was the quickest way that I could get to get them to agree on what scholar, how much the scholarships were going to be. So in this academy, Gary agreed to a $10,000 scholarship for every student that gets accepted into the academy, which is Wow. What a year is at UTA, it's yeah. 5000 a year. Um, and they also get a paid internship from June, July, and August. So they have money in their pocket, and then they have a scholarship to get them through their last year. And uh, to be successful in the program, they've just got to miss one time. But they've got to be there every Saturday morning from 9 to 12.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And those are the kinds of things that – You know, these uh, students have to understand is that when you get out in the real world, there's really not much to, you know, to say when you're starting out. When you're starting out in the business world, you've got to be able to do everything and volunteer for everything and be wherever you need to be.
0: Yeah, and
1: that's what these kids agree to is to. uh, That's what these students agree to is to come to all 13 sessions from nine to 12 on Saturday mornings, and uh, they. Also provide me a feedback form but um, but you know we interview them um, in fact we're fixing to put the application out again for next year. The application will go online at UTA starting next week, maybe this week uh, next week for sure and so then all those applications will go into uh, UTA and my friend at the Career Center will Weed out the ones that don't qualify and then I'll have 20 people to interview
0: wow I think so do you think this could be a model is this done do you, are you aware if this is done in any other cities
1: no and we started 17 18 was our first year 18 19 second year 19, 20, third year and this will be the fourth year 20 to 21
0: I mean this could I would imagine this could be a really good model for future you know for model other cities and other less. transit authorities yeah. you know well
1: you know and then um, i was asked to use the same model for the hospitality industry and the company would provide their executive team to provide you know morning sessions on saturday and they would be hired part time until they finish college so the model is moving you know I'm, I'm looking at doing i'm actually i'm in talks with them right now it's a a hospitality group here in Plano and they just need people and they don't, they're not looking for high school graduates because high school still has to go to college. And that's a long time, really four years in the, in the, when you think about the, you know, the time in a company, but, um, so they're looking for college seniors who can go through a, a program like this, an academy like this, or their their fellows, I guess we will call them. Um, so that they actually have some working knowledge before they graduate.
0: That is such a great model. Like, I yeah. could totally see that being picked up. Who knows yeah. who's going to end up listening to this and think that's a great model and that needs to be done, oh, yeah, and reaching yeah. out to you and everything. That's so good. So let me ask you just kind of kind of to tie in the end before I ask the fun questions. Um, where do you, Where have you seen, since you graduated college and growing up in Dallas and growing up in a time that was... Not necessarily the most welcoming right. for people, what people of I all mean, colors, well, and, I mean, and, and being Latino, like and now and how? Where mm-hmm. do you see Dallas, or how much do you think Dallas has progressed since you grew up, or where do you and I, where do you see it going?
1: I would say that it has progressed. I mean, we didn't have a, a, an office like the one Liz. Seville has in city hall right now. I think she's the welcoming immigrant office. We didn't have that. And that we pushed for, I know Elba pushed for it a lot, Elba Garcia, and we supported it. And so she's still there. Thank goodness. You know, the, the first thing a new mayor does is cut all the programs that weren't his and that one wasn't his, but it's still there. So I think we're moving towards, you know, some equity for Latinos and uh, I was reading a post on Facebook that said there were a record number of Latino graduates from college this year.
0: Oh, yeah. I read that article. I know.
1: So I look for things to change, you know, more drastically. Um, but I think for right now, it's been very slow.
0: Well, hopefully it'll just continue to grow and get better with, you know, other people, other um People within the, the community that are pushing and hopefully running for office, obviously I'm not there anymore, so I don't know who's running for who's been running and what that looks like, but hopefully that that just will continue to grow and the equity will catch up at some point. So thank you so much for that. so we can get into the fun stuff, Delia, because I know I sent you some questions, so I'm going to ask you some of those now. Um, what is your favorite word?
1: And I said, my favorite word is awesome.
0: Why awesome?
1: Because to me, when someone does something that helps someone else or that helps themselves, it's an awesome thing. You know that someone has um, realized what that is.
0: I love.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I know. And your favorite hobby. Favorite hobby. What did I say? I walk a lot. Um, did I put walking?
0: You put antique stores. Oh.
1: oh
0: <laughs> it's it's like, like a myself
1: <laughs> and walking, but with my husband is scouring antique stores. I don't
0: need You kind thing. of walk at the same time, right? You walk it's and true. scour. <laughs>
1: walk yeah. There's some good antique stores here. Um, yeah, I, I don't need a thing. I mean, I've, I've furnished, you know one or two houses, but I always want to find something unique, something that you wouldn't normally see. And so a big thing last month was horses. So I Mm -hmm. bought a big wooden horse that was blue and I put that in (laughs) my living room. (laughs) Like I really needed it.
0: (laughs) Well, this is, here's a couple that I didn't ask you, but are always interesting Mm -hmm. to ask. I always love hearing the answers. First, what are you curious about right now? Like what kind of makes you go, hmm, and you want to learn more?
1: I think really I would like to learn more about I just wanna see what happens in the next ten years. I've had I've been very blessed, you know, I've had I've never wanted for anything. Even when I was a kid I thought I mean, even though we were poor, I thought I had everything. But I wanna see what things are like in ten years. You know, my kids my kids are thirty and thirty seven. And in ten years they'll be forty and 47. So I want to see what things are like in 10 years.
0: And what would you say? And it doesn't have to be professional. It can be however, uh-huh. uh, however, in whatever capacity. But what have you felt like you failed at, but that you're, but it's taught you something? I mean, every failure teaches us something, right? But.
1: No, yeah. Every every failure, teacher, yeah. I think I would have liked to have gone and get my MBA and I didn't. And I should have, you know, ten years ago or twenty years ago. I wish I would have gone my MBA. At this point, I don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I always say my city council days were my MBA. That was four years of
0: no kidding, of, right? Um,
1: of learning everything. But um, yeah, I think an MBA. I would have loved to have gotten an
0: MBA. And your favorite Dallas restaurant for because I have so many. I mean, I will be back later this year. Oh, uh, good. To visit, so I'll have to make sure to to connect with you but yeah. I um for people I know a lot of people from San Diego even have been visiting lately so what are your favorite spots in Dallas? Well
1: obviously Oishi oh, so which is over you know where it is it's yeah the White Cliff and the Toei. I love that place. It's the best Chinese food ever. Um and then of course um Sagwan.
0: Which is a bakery and it's so Zabon. good. Um, and then uh, then we always end every interview of what do you prefer? Red, red. white, or rosé? Red. Do you have a red particular to Red
1: and white in the spring. <laughs> um, red when it's cold and white when it's hot.
0: Hey, so it's, sometimes you got to change it up, right? It's gotta, yeah. It's hard for me, but I've been finding some whites that I actually like. It's been hard, but well, I find some so I can actually have something cold in the summer
1: yeah we went to uh that wine train thing in San Francisco or uh, yeah wine country San uh-huh. Francisco the wine train they it, do up there right and we got some great wine so we've been it's called oh, can't remember the name of it i'll get to your name but uh that was the best one either that or i was already so drunk that everything <laughs> t- <laughs> <laughs> everything tasted good so. <laughs>
0: So That's I, the kind of train ride I like,
1: yeah, we were on the lawn train for sure, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Delia, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and kind of just have this time to to wine and cheese me um. Right. You guys, thank you so much. I will make sure to include the information that Bendia has, including the restaurant recommendations, and I'll include a link to the the UTA program. Yeah, I will make sure to to include a link to the UTA DART uh, program in the show notes. But until next time, everybody, muchísimas gracias and saludos.
1: Saludos.
0: It was great having the opportunity to speak with Delia. It's so interesting to hear the come up of people I've admired for years and had the opportunity to know during my time in Dallas. But gente, we have so much more ahead of us. And know that there to know that there are people like Delia still paving paths is uplifting and keeps me optimistic. Guess what mi gente? I have a treat for you. If you are in the San Diego area and would like to treat yourself to a day of wine and sunshine, make sure to purchase a ticket to the Uncork San Diego Wine Festival for Saturday, March 28th. Link to the event can be found in the show notes as well and in Eventbrite. If you use the code THEWINEINCHIEFEMENT, you will get an additional $5 off. Do you have a story that needs to be told or know someone who does? then please reach out to me via my social media channels. You can reach me on Instagram at The Wine and Chisme and Facebook at The Wine and Chisme Podcast because you all know that I really want to hear your story. Remember, if you want to hear more The Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are always appreciated and good reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, gente, saludos.